Well, hello, all you girls and ghouls out there, and welcome to personally my favorite show that we do here at Fandom Correspondence. Um, I don't know if my co-host is going to agree, but uh, welcome back to a new season, new year, new scares for Fandom Horror Fest. Uh, this is a show we do every year around spooky season, where uh, I am joined by my um, constant friend and companion, um, Joshua the Wise Sage. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing real well, and and this is this is one of my favorite segments as well. I think it's my favorite segment to record. My favorite segment to listen to, though, is probably going to come in a couple months when we make you sit through five more Christmas movies because that's a that's always amazing. So so that's probably my favorite segment to listen to. But this is probably my favorite one to record. Oh, you know that's fair. That's fair. Um, I'm going to give the political answer and say um, I love to record all of our shows equally. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, for anybody who this is um, your first horror fest, whole idea behind this is just um, we get together every year around spooky season. Uh, we talk about a whole bunch of horror films, um, a lot of them that we like, a lot of them that we don't like, and some of them kind of weird in between. Um, and basically the whole idea uh, kind of rose up. Um, out of the fact that I am a huge horror nerd, um, I love horror films, I love horror um, stories in any way or form of art. Um, Josh, we like to say, is um, kind of a, a horror agnostic, if you will. Uh, That's fair. There's some horror he likes, there is some horror he's kind of skeptical about, so we have a really good time just kind of going back and forth and talking about um just a variety of horror stuff uh that is in our lives uh things that some we grew up with and some i have roped josh into enjoying with me <laughs> um uh, however this one this first one we're going to kick off this year's horror fest with though um i think is one that was already in josh's life uh before oh, yes. he knew me uh, <laughs> um so uh tonight we are going to be talking about uh one of the classic horror films uh one of my favorite horror movies in general um and that is uh 1979's the amityville horror um often known as one of the premier classic supernatural horror films that has ever been made. Um, Josh, you said that you um, kind of heard of this one beforehand. This was kind of on or off your radar. Oh yeah. I've seen this. I've seen this movie a few times. This is a, this is a classic. I mean, it really is a um, classic of, of a seventies horror genre. Um, it's a classic in the sense of, uh, I don't know how much we'll talk about this, but it's a classic in the sense of, it's one of those movies that has this like weird aura around it, you know, like, and I mean, part of that was because of the marketing campaign, uh, making you think that like, you know, weird stuff was happening, was really happening in this house and everything. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of an interesting movie as well, because, uh, it ruined James Brolin's career. Uh, and, uh, it's kind of funny because like James Brolin was kind of on, he's kind of on the come up. He was, he was kind of moving up in, in Hollywood society. He was kind of moving into a leading man status and this movie kind of ruined all that. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he never really, he never really recovered from this movie in the same way Anthony Perkins did in Psycho. So there's a lot to, to go on with this movie. I, I really enjoy it and I, I enjoy talking about the history of it and, 
Uh, Al, you know what? I'm I'm weird. I, I even this is one of the few movies I can talk about where I actually kind of enjoyed the remake too. The one with Ryan Reynolds, I think, in 2005. I thought that was oh, really? pretty decent. Yeah, I did. I thought it was. I thought it was decent. I I, I thought yeah, I, I actually think there's some things where uh, that Ryan Reynolds does better than uh, James Brolin does because Brolin definitely plays this uh, as a as a jerk, and I, Ryan Reynolds really doesn't. And I kind of I kind of wonder, you know, if uh, uh, how that 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 kind of affects the story in a different way when you're kind of sympathizing with the main character as opposed to being like, you know, what's wrong with this guy? Hey, real real quick, real quick trivia about this movie. Sure. Do you know who they first considered as George Lutz? Um, I believe that would be Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, man, I wish that was true. I wish that was true. Oh, I wish that was true. He would bring such a different vibe to this. Uh, but no, actually, it was Christopher Reeve, actually. And uh, Christopher oh, Reeve wow. was not interested in doing this movie um, because he was he was right in the middle of doing Superman. And uh, and he, they really, they, they thought, uh, you know, he, uh, he would have brought a pretty good sense this movie. And it would have been interesting to watch Superman slap Margot Kidder around. You know, that would have been... That would have been different. That would have made Superman two really different to watch. It would, <laughs> it would have cast a a very d- different vibe over the rest of the Superman films. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. But anyway, yeah. To, that was a long way to answer. I, I I love this movie, and I'm 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 glad we're starting with a banger, man. Hey, also one more thing, right. Al. This mm-hmm. is our fourth time doing this. Is this we, our fourth time, really? This is the fourth year in a row we've done this. Isn't that oh, crazy? Oh my god, that is crazy. Wow. Everybody out there who listens to us over the last few years, like, we really appreciate it, one. Um, and um, two, I don't know why you've allowed us to continue this for so long, but <laughs> but we do appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That is insane. And over the years, we have covered films that are um, just as, as much classics um, as the Amityville Horror. Uh, uh, we've covered Halloween. We've covered The Exorcist. The Exorcist, we've covered um, the fourth kind, uh, we've covered all the classics. So I mean, I mean, there, I mean, I'm not sure there's any any more room upwards that we can go, but we're gonna try this here. Um, but um, everybody should go listen to our to our episode on the fourth kind because it is um, arguably the angriest I've ever made, Josh. Um, it's a good time. But um, no, we're getting into. Um, Amityville here tonight. Um, as Josh said, this is a classic. Uh, there was a lot of controversy around this film, which is something we'll definitely get into. But um, real quick, uh, before we jump into the real meat of the show, um, I thought I'd share a question from the Discord. Hey, everybody, if you want to join the the Phantom Correspondence uh, server on Discord, uh, just follow us on any form of Socials, follow us on Twitch or Patreon or Instagram or whatever else makeup has. I try to not be on the internet anymore if I can help it. But <laughs> uh, but Jacob's on there. Um, he has all of uh, the social accounts and stuff. Um, so follow us on there um, and get access to our Discord. We really appreciate it. We have a lot of fun in the Discord chat. Um, but this question, real quick, comes from um, longtime... Um, listener of the podcast, um, our boy Johnny. And Johnny asks us for this first episode of Horror Fest, 
he has a very appropriate question for the Amityville episode. He said, um, um, hey guys, for the podcast, um, what are y'all's thoughts on haunted house films? Uh, personally, I'm over them. I haven't seen a good one in years. He's scrolling through horror and getting some iteration of, quote, a person or group moves into a new house and quickly learn everything is not as it seems, end quote. Um, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate it, Johnny. Um, a very providential question that you asked because I did not offer the prompt that we were going to be covering Amityville, but uh, things just kind of aligned with themselves there. Um, Josh, I'll let you take first crack at it. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on haunted house films? Is it kind of a subgenre of horror that you tend to enjoy or that you tend to see a lot of um, flaws in over the years? Um, uh, what's kind of your stance on the haunted house kind of subgenre of horror we got? Yeah, I think um, I think I think where where Johnny's coming from when he's kind of say he's kind of sick of them. I think he's got he's got a point there because at this point I don't know how much further we can take that. Um, a extremely good, um, although I did have problems with it, uh, but a really good uh, take on the haunted house film. Or, or the haunted house genre is uh, Netflix's Haunting on Hill House. I think that's probably been mm. the most recent one that has kind of, uh, kind of jumped up a level, so to speak, and and really, um, really try to take that genre and, and press it into something different. Because of course, with that, really, that one's more about the trauma of living in that house and what it does to them as their lives they move on from that house. Um, so, and I do think that's kind of the problem is that's that ends up being where all the haunted house films have to go, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you have to do something about because now in 2023 we're all jaded, so we're not willing to just be like, well, you know, they did get a really good good price on this house, so they should probably stick it out. No one thinks that way anymore, <laughs> um, and so, like, at some point, there has to be a, a a point where the protagonist has to make the statement of, like, well, we got to get out of here. And then someone comes along, normally a priest, who's like, it doesn't matter. They've attacked, the demons have attacked to you. You have blah, blah, blah. And whatever happens. Okay. So, like, <laughs> I mean, because, like, I mean, that that's conjuring, right? I mean, that's, sure. that's what they ran into of conjuring. Those are haunted house movies, in essence. And what they ran into was like, well, yeah, no, it's too late. The demons have attacked to you. Sinisters like that. Uh, to a degree, Insidious is like that. And so, like, so I do think there is a sense of we've probably taken that genre as far as it can go. And so now where where the Haunted House movie probably does need to go is in looking at that genre and uh, looking at it in a way um, where it can be more than just a a couple or a family moves into a house and weird stuff happens. They have to... It has to be something more. It has to has to have a uh, a conscience, so to speak. Um, you know, and I, the irony of this, of course, is that Amityville is really one of the great examples of the horror movie, and I think it does kind of have a conscience to it. Um, I think it is trying to do something more than just be a haunted house movie. Um, I think there's a reason George goes back for the dog. You know what I mean? I, I think there's there's more to to this movie happening um, than just a straight, you know you know, we've all, we've all 
walked into this haunted house and we don't really know what we're getting into. We brought a Ouija board with us just for fun kind of thing. Uh, where, you know, like I, I do think like Amityville is really, really has a statement to make, uh, where you agree with it or not, but it does have, it, it is trying to kind of elevate that genre, but I agree with Johnny. I don't know how much further you can go with it. Maybe you, maybe you have some insight into that. Uh, well, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's a question that's worth considering. And I think that, um, the answer that I can offer up, and this is an answer I think is going to apply to a lot of um, the more uh, long-standing uh, themes and approaches to horror, is that um, you know, um, anything when you do it enough times is going to feel kind of old and stale, and it's up to the artist, it's up to the director and uh, screenwriter and everything to to make it unique um in some way uh, we talked about this um, a lot over the last few years when we've done this show whenever we've covered a slasher film um you know um if you take just the bare bones of slasher films then yeah you can only go so far but when you but when you give a more unique kind of twist or a more unique kind of flavor to it instead. Um, I know we've talked about your next. Um, I've talked a little bit about Happy F Day, um, films like that that take the general idea and then kind of sh- shape it into something um, a bit more unusual than what we've seen in the past. Um, then you have the recipe for like um, a film that can be really, really interesting and really, really new. I think that same kind of idea applies to. Um, the general idea of a haunted house film is that you know if you take the bare bones of it, then yeah, it's overplayed. It's it's kind of overstayed. Um, it's welcome in that way. But if you can take certain components to it and change them a bit and and shift things around, um, even in very like small amounts, I think you can do some really interesting things. Um, on the horror film, I finally got around to watching last year uh, that really impressed me. That's kind of in this same genre is called um, The Last Shift. And um, really all that they really changed about it is that it, it's pretty much a haunted house film that takes place in an old police station instead of a house. Um, and that's really the only thing they changed about it. But it was enough of a change of context and that theme of being in a police station instead of just a home allowed them to do some really cool, interesting things with their scares and with their cinematography and things like that. So I think as long as you have directors who want to explore the genre and explore that kind of vessel of storytelling instead of just rehashing the same things, then I think there's always the potential for those to be good. But um, I would say it's like almost any kind of theme or trend in horror. Um, It waxes and wanes with time. Um, It has its peaks in popularity and it has its lows as well. So I think right now we're kind of in a low as far as the haunted house genre goes. So uh, uh, just because, honestly, I don't hear a lot about them anymore, but um, I'm sure eventually, you know, we'll see a lot 
four of them come back and hopefully they come back with some unique ideas that kind of uh, remove on uh, the staleness out of them. But um, but um, yeah, thank you very much, Johnny, for um, uh, the great question to get us talking. And as I said, it lined up really well with the topic tonight because we're talking about Amityville Horror. Uh, Josh, you've already alluded to the idea that, you know, this isn't, um, it's a haunted house film, but there's probably a lot more to it. There's a lot more going on um, between the lines um, than just that. So um, I want to kind of kick this thing off by kind of examining uh, just kind of the context of the Amityville Horror. Uh, because uh, Amityville Horror um, is based on a book, and the book was based on a true story. Um, the lines that try to connect the Amityville film that we see to the original true story that happened um, are very thin and very veiled, but <laughs> but um, it is there, and it's important to talk about because a lot of the controversy that comes from this film came from the fact that these were based on kind of true events. Um, so for anyone who does not know, uh, the Amityville Horror is loosely based um, upon a um, real... Um, a real horrible um, tragedy um, that happened in New York, um, in Amityville, um, where I'm a man, I won't say his name because um, I don't want to give him the extra attention, but um, a man did kill his family, um, even Amanon often um, known as in forensic psych as a family annihilator. Um, he, um, he killed his family, um, in their house one night. Um, he was arrested. He was taken into custody and, um, and interrogated and went on trial and all that. Um, he was convicted of the homicides. And so that kind of lays the groundwork that kind of lays the foundation for what is the opening of the Amityville Horror. And I think the opening here in the Amityville Horror, um, Josh, tell me if you agree with me, is really interesting and really important to setting the tone of the film because it struck me while I was watching it uh, just the other day where um, the opening of the film kind of forces you to spend a lot of time with the victims. Um, it forces you to spend a lot of time around the hiding incident. Um, you see a lot of scenes, a lot of reiteration of this guy just offing his family in their beds, um, show a lot of um, a very disturbing scenes over and over again of just everyone in the film being killed. And it really forces you to s s sit with that. There's no like exchanges that are happening. There's no dialogue or anything like that. It's just very simplistic, very honest. And it kind of forces you to kind of sit with it for longer than I feel like a lot of films probably would. Um, uh, Josh, how would you describe just kind of the opening of the film as far as establishing the tone, as far as 
uh, kind of giving the background that you need to understand further into the film, but really just kind of heading it off as, you know, um, this is what you're in for. This is what you can kind of expect. Right. The, uh, yeah, you're right. The, the, it, they don't just, <laughs> what's interesting, they don't just do it once when they open it. Then when, uh, the, the Lutz family is going to actually, or the couple is looking at the house, they go, when they go through room by room, they show it all to you again from like a different angle. Um, so the, 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 the inciting incident, yeah, it's, it's something that they, uh, they play on quite a bit, but what's, you know, to your point though, yeah, there is a, a sense of, you know, like we're seeing the victims and we're seeing this horror play out, but almost like you, when you say you didn't want to give them the satisfaction of naming them, they never name any of these people either. It's just kind of a thing mm-hmm. that happens and the the incident in and of itself becomes and later on as we find out almost part of this long play that has been going on in the Amityville house you know for a while um with the you know the character of Jody and stuff like that um but the to me uh, the image that always sticks out to me Al and and they they go to this image again and again and again to the point where I, I did read that the owners of the actual Amityville house have now changed this. They always frame this house as like glaring at you with those two eyes at the top, you know, sure. like the windows. Yeah. And when we're, when we open, like we don't see, we don't see what's happening, but we hear the gunshots and we hear, we see the house light up through the gunshots. Um, and so it's very much this idea of like the house devouring its victims uh, and and I, I'm always struck by that because the you know it's it's a very simple thing that they've done here, um, but they're smart in how they do it. They they always anytime there's like this this uh, this push into the into the more demonic aspect, they make sure you see see the house from that from that front angle with those eyes staring at you um, to to kind of let you know what's happening. I, you know I. I I think the beginning, um, you know, like it's 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 weird because it's it's a jump scare if I'm being jump scary, because mm-hmm. it's very much, you know, like this. Always always go back to Coppola when he's talking about Godfather. You know, God the Coppola says, you know, everybody they he used to get complaints that people were like, well, your movies are too violent. He's like, my movies aren't violent at all. He says because violence in a movie is supposed to interrupt something. It's supposed to be this interpolation that interrupts something. And like, that's what happens here. And the best examples of that hour when they're, they're viewing the house and you have these like moments where it's like, Oh, cool. You know, look, this could be a bedroom and then bam shotgun, you know? And then like, okay, this could be, you know, if you want to have a nursery and then bam shotgun, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like this, this is the master bedroom, bam shotgun. Just like the, these moments where there's this interruption into uh, into these people's lives and or this interruption we let me rephrase we know there's going to be an interruption into these people's lives from moving into this house they're not aware of it yet but that's what the movie's trying to tell you so yeah i think i think it's pretty brilliant how they uh, how they frame that at the beginning um it's definitely uh it definitely stands out and definitely sets the proper tone uh for for what we're about to go through yeah yeah it's it's um, like you said, it, 
it very intentionally kind of sets the stage for, as you said, you know, they're going through a house tour, which like is a very, um, is often a very exciting experience. And uh, it's so, it's so interjected throughout with the history of the house and kind of sets you up for, you know, um, this is not going to be as isn't an experience as they think or hope it will be. Um, I do want to say, as a person who semi-recently purchased a home, um, I do want to say that the scene where they are in the attic and discussing if they are going to buy the house or not, and it's like this beautiful colonial home with like all kinds of land and like a, and like a work shed in the back and like a personal like oat house that you can launch into the bay from and stuff and they they're talking about it and they're just like it's eighty thousand dollars i don't know if we can swing it um yeah um yeah that hits man that hits here yeah exactly here in 2023 yeah uh so so you know that was definitely a detail of the scene that um i did not entirely appreciate in the past (laughs) until having gone through some kind of experience but um but um no yeah it sets things up to show that like you know this is a house with a history of violence on um, a house with a history of tragedy and so um that kind of gives us a segue into opening up on the family um in this film um the Lutzes and um primarily the husband and wife um obviously the kids are there they pay some parts in the film um the little girl especially the little girl in this film is a problem man i'm gonna talk about her more towards the end (laughs) towards the end of the episode but that little girl's a problem um but primarily it focuses on um the newlywed husband and wife and um and so we have George and George, you know, George is just a really interesting character to me um, because they do a good job presenting his character in the beginning of the film to be a guy who is, you know, he has t- 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 taken um, his wife and her kids into his home, um, treating them as if they're his very own. And early on in the film, he's really shown to be just like I'm a down to earth, I'm just kind of hardworking guy. There's a lot of references and allusions to his job. I don't think we ever learn what his job is. It sounds like it has something to do with. Sh- Hipping things on the on the bay. I don't yeah, really just, know <laughs> because on the van it says what it is. It's uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where the only the only thing we learn about is his absence of time there because that becomes a, a subplot. You know, he's not there to sign the checks, so to speak. Right, right. And so like the only real thing because I think all the van is like a. Surveying company. That's what's yeah. It's Lutz surveying. Yeah. That's yes. What it, 
Yeah. Which I'm not going to like armchair expert here and act as if I know a whole lot about that as a job, but it doesn't strike me as a job that needs a whole lot of employees in the first place. I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> I don't really understand what he's doing, but all that to say though, um, the, the only concrete thing we know about the job is that it's not going very well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, despite all that, um, George and his wife, Kathy, they go ahead, um, they buy this house. And um, it's really interesting to me because before anything really weird happens to kind of the main cast of characters, the first person we see really fall victim to the house itself is um, the, um, as I said, the Catholic priest who comes by to do a blessing on the house. Um, and, and so the priest comes by. He does not have a good time. No, at all. He you doesn't have a good time. This at entire all. movie. Let's be honest with ourselves here. No, this one priest just like I felt bad for the dude. This one priest just gets like half the ten plagues of Egypt just kind of thrown at him. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so he shows up. He attempts to bless the house. He's like besieged by flies. Um, he gets like sores on his hand. He grows very ill. Um, he hears a disembodied voice tell him to get out of the house. Um, and so from then on, there is what I think is a really interesting writing decision on their part to have the to ha have the priests as a whole play a very tertiary role in the rest of the story um, that had struck me before in the past when I watched this. Um, I've watched this a few times now, but it struck me particularly hard this past time when I was watching it because throughout it, especially if it's your first time going through the Amityville Horror, you kind of expect the priests to kind of show up again. And, um, and they do in terms of them having screen time, but they don't really show up again as far as they ever go back to the house. There are a couple of attempts to go back to the house, but very much the clergy kind of remove themselves from the situation. And um, especially the ones who show up afterwards and are just like, well, I'm sorry, George, your house is uber haunted. I, and we can't help you. <laughs> We're going to institutionalize the one guy who is willing to help you, even. Um, so, um, um, so Josh, as a person with um, a background in in faith, in holding office in ch 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 churches, in serving in roles that would um, perceivably require you to go and check in with a family who has just bought a house or is possibly experiencing some troubles at said house um what is your take on the role that the priests um play in the amityville horror over the course of the film yeah so it's interesting because i think i do think there's whether intentionally or unintentionally um i do think there's a sense where this movie is kind of 
reacting to the exorcist a bit mm-hmm. because in the exorcist whether whatever you you know i mean i think that i think the priests are wildly ineffectual in the exorcist as well but there is a sense of you know this is good this is evil you know like this is this is the these are the good guys this right. is the bad guy okay Amityville does something completely different in that their sense of the church is like, it's completely ineffectual and it cannot help you. And in fact, it, when it tries to help you, it's going to get itself uh, deaf, dumb, and blind. And also at the same time, they're also going to just be like, it's just easier to write all this stuff off than actually help people. And there's a real, there's a real, real um, cynicism about the church in this movie. Um and you know, uh, you know, we can argue whether that's right or wrong. I'm I'm not really overtly concerned about that. Sure. But I do think it's interesting that probably the person that, in my opinion, at the end of this movie, is most cynical about the church is uh, is Father Delaney, who at mm-hmm. this point, you know, you know, I mean, like, you know, he's got like, I mean, he he basically he he basically has this moment with these other two priests who come in and basically say he's crazy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, their only like evidence of him being crazy is like, well, people have mental breaks, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't do any investigation whatsoever. You know, they don't want to do that. They don't even like, you know, you would think at the very least they'd be like, well, let's just go, let's all go by the house and just see what happens. Okay. Sure. Yeah. You think that'd be the very, but no, they don't even want to do that. They want to write it off. And then you've also got so like, but also there's a sense of, you know, like at least in at least in The Exorcist, part one of the senses that you get is like, you know, well, there's these there's these young, you know, religious people that are coming up that are, you know, that are that are really going to revitalize the religion, so to speak. You know, um, you don't get that at all in in, <laughs> in Amityville because our young priest is arguably worse than the two oldest ones because he basically just like, well, come on father. I mean, he's basically treating him like he's someone in a nursing home, you know, before all this stuff happens. And the one thing that annoys me most about him is like, he literally sees the church attack father Delaney. Like he's standing right there, you know, and the, in the weirdest, like in, in the weirdest attack that, that has ever happened in the history of demonic possession, you know, uh, he's standing right there to watch it, and it's still just like, oh, you know, just uh, things happen, you know, and to the point where like he's like, yeah, I can't when um, uh, when Mrs. Lutz comes out, uh, when Mrs. Lutz come comes out, and is like, I need to see Fire Lane. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't help you, you know, like like the the point of this, the point of the church in this movie is they cannot help you, not because they don't have the ability, but because they just don't really want to. They don't really want to do it, you know, um, and like, and and when you start viewing it that way, literally every character that's that's part of the Catholic character in this movie kind of comes off that way because you've also got the nun who is her aunt, right? I mean, that's right. that. You know, so you've got you've got a Catholic family member who goes into this house, has this horrible experience, you know, where she leaves and throws up by speaking in tongues. And then, like, has this, like, horrible experience uh, about this house. And then later on, it's just like, oh, I just, it's just weird. I got real sick later on. And, like, <laughs> you're just like, what are you talking about? Like, 
you know, like you walked in, you walked in 20 feet, went from it's so great to see these little brats to, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst migraine I've ever had to, oh, I'm feeling all the powers of hell on me to, you know, I'm, I have to stop and throw up, you know, in, in the span of 10 minutes, you had that experience and you're not saying anything either. Just like, oh, you know, it, you know, any, no, it's just kind of weird. It's a strange experience, you know, like it, it's, it is interesting to me that they say that, that, you know, those, the Catholic church, uh, the people that represent the Catholic church in this movie are having this moment of just like detachment from the situation. And then Helen Shaven, Shaver's character, who's like, into the occult, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really her only, her only power, as, as a Carolyn, I think, you know, like, yeah. her entire thing is like, you know, she's kind of like, she's read some books on the on the subject, and she shows up, and she's randomly clairvoyant, but like, she gets over her fear to go and help, like, there's, there's something being said there, Al, I mean, there's really mm. this, this sense of cynicism towards the church, where it's like, yeah, yeah, we do think evil exists, but we also don't think the church really cares about it, so, Good luck, guys. You know, that's kind of really the overarching message of this movie, you know, and that even, uh, you know, I know we'll talk about the end later, but even really plays into the end where it's on George to save everybody. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. on George to make the decision, you know, like the right decision to go back and get the dog. And like, you know, at at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, the church ain't going to help you. It's, it's, are you going to be man enough to stand up and do what's right? You know, is that that is that's the question, you know, and so you have a it's weird because you have a you have a, a movie about demonology and demonic possession where the church is just like kind of shunted to the side uh, almost pointedly. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I you know, I, I, I think in, in this in this movie, uh, the Catholic Church, you know, gets a gets a really failing grade here, you know, uh, from from the uh, from the writers and directors. Of this movie, so uh, yeah, you know, um, it, it, it is it is it is jarring because Al, we we've gone we've gone through several movies now um, of The Conjuring, The Exorcist, uh, you know, where we've you know where we've dealt with you know the the church being this force for good, and in this one, it's just like there's not really a force for anything, and uh, you know that that to me is is a is is a is something that makes this movie stand out, um, you know, makes it stand out from from the other kind of uh, demonology movies that we're gonna, that we've dealt with. Yeah, yeah, it's re- it's really interesting where um, the uh, the scene with the priest that really um, stuck out a lot to me is when um, all of them are all of them are there in. In his office, he's got the Avengers and priests, and um, all of them are there. And he and he talks about what he experienced, and they say, "Well, you know, I'm not sure if that's really what it was. You could have just been assuming things, or seeing, or hearing things that weren't there." And um, he he has an outburst, and he's just like, "You know, I'm not just a priest. I've been to school. I." have training as a psychotherapist i'm you know alongside my faith i try to be a rational person who sees science as much as he sees religion and he really 
he really clarifies his role as kind of, you know, possibly overgeneralizing here, but his role as what you really want to see from a person in that kind of job. You want to see your religious leaders um, practice some amount of rationality, practice some amount of skepticism, have a background that allows them to parse through the things that are of a faith-based nature versus all of the things that are of way more of a psychological nature or what have you. And so he puts himself up as this, as this person who is what you want to see in that kind of context. And um, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost as if they kind of out skepticism him in a way <laughs> because the one priest um, has an outburst in return and stuff and he's just like you know we hear we've heard calls about this stuff for decades and it's not ever Satanism it ever is and so you have this really interesting situation where the uh, creators of the film have kind of re have kind of reversed on um, the general expectation of what you get from that kind of character in this kind of context, and and um, just kind of show a disconnect there, where um, where I'm it's way more you know like hey this is a situation where your religious experience and your spiritual practices can actually come in handy. And um, if anything, you've inicked your way out of it um, in kind of a say, subversion of what we've come to expect out of that role. Uh, and I think that that's just a really interesting way to go about it. Um, um, I do want to... Can, yeah. can I real quick? Can I tell yeah. you the my least like? I mean, and I, I understand why they did it, but my least favorite part of that scene is when like what he's like, well, Bolin told him about the car, and he's like, well, the steering wheel locked up, and I just wanted to be like, if Rod Steiger had gotten up and beat him to death in that moment, because <laughs> it's like, what do you mean the steering wheel locked up? <laughs> when the steering wheel locks up, it goes in one direction. You were flying all over the New York highway, okay? And also, randomly, your hood went up over the, over, like, over, like, it just, it just went over the, like, the roof of the car, you know? What do you mean the 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 steering wheel locked up? You, you are so full of it. Like I, I seriously like if, if that that scene should have ended with like him and Bolin walking out and Steiger being like, if I ever see you again, I'm just gonna beat you half to death. Okay, <laughs> and you know, I because I I, I, I I can't I can't with you anymore. Like it's a, that was the most ridiculous part, you know. Um, but also I, I do want to like the other there there he has two outbursts in that. One is. One outburst, and I think it's it's telling. One outburst is, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. You know, I, I know this stuff. You know, I, I've, I'm, I'm in the psych field. You know, I'm not crazy. But the other outburst, Al, is the church is my life. You know, the church is what I rely on. It is my bedrock. 
And what's interesting out is like this outburst that should be like this. It's like powered statement, you know. Mm. Um, it's actually kind of pathetic. Like the way they frame it is like really, and the way Steiger plays it um, is very. It, it, it's it's a very pathetic scene of almost like him grasping at straws because once again it's like he has this moment where he's like please you know let the church do the right thing and it's immediately followed by we're going to send you on vacation and it's just like it's just really just you know just this like you know like i mean it it, it is it, it is it is the it is the type of scene that really you know encapsulates this idea or encapsulates encapsulates is not a word encapsulates this idea of the church is not for the people you know or in this situation it's not you know um you know we we are very much about maintaining the status quo um and i'm sorry if you you know if you feel like you know like you feel your spirit moving in this direction too bad we think you're crazy we're sending you on a vacation so yeah, you're right. There is that outburst for like you're right. There's that scene of like well, he he's who you'd want as a skeptic, but he's also who you'd kind of want, you know, as someone who seemingly actually cares. And it just neither one of those things matter in this movie. Doesn't matter. He ends up next to a next to a river, blind and just kind of, you know, just just broken. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's 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 you know, it's it's just it's just interesting. It's a really it's a really interesting take. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very sad. It's very sad story for Arthur Delaney. Um, uh, now, um, perfect segue though on your part, um, unintentional as it may be, because um, the other character that um, I really want to talk about for some reason, um, because you know. We could spend hours talking about the journey that George has, talking about the role that Kathy plays in the film. But, like, I know that, like, you know, we aren't the first podcast ever where two guys have talked about the Amityville Horror. So I, I do want to take an opportunity to possibly touch upon some some topics that possibly haven't gotten as much historical attention in this film as others have. And one thing that really left me thinking at the end of this film, because again, I've seen this a lot and the thing I was really left with at the end of it this time was just a question I want to ask you, Josh is, what role did the detective play <laughs> in the grand scheme of the film? Because it's really, <laughs> it's really kind of interesting. Because you know, you see him and he sets up this almost kind of stereotypical role. I don't know if it's if it was as stereotypical at the time. Again, this is way back in '79. Um, so I don't know if it's as stereotypical as, at the time as it has grown to be now. But he sets up to be this kind of stereotypical, um, hardened, grizzled of detective role where, like, you know, he he was there the night 
that it all happened in the past and like he knows what's he knows there's something going on with that house and he knows that there's way more to this um than what was uncovered and he'll he'll show up he'll respond to calls at the house he'll go and track down um this priest who talked to <laughs> who talked to kathy lutz to um to get his view on it and then we do not see homeboy again we see homeboy go talk to the priest at the river and then he is gone. He is he is out of the rest of the film. So Josh, I want to ask you both kind of in like a bewildered sense, but also in a genuine sense, what you think the role of the detective served in this film? No, I think I think it's very similar to the to the priest. I mean, it's it's a very much a you know, so here's here's the thing about this this movie that's that's really smart. You've already touched on, but what it does is it isolates this family to the point where, you know, like it seems like no one else can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I mean, I think that detective has a very similar role in this movie as a priest does, which is, you know, I mean, what what's he gonna do? You know, he can't help anybody on anything. Um, the it does seem like his 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 what he's attempting to do it seems like is stop another murder from happening but he has no clue what's happening either so he's almost used as a as a plot device to kind of get us some um some more you know some some more exposition so to speak about mm-hmm. the story but no, I don't think he, I mean, I don't think he has a role of, of any type of any semblance of help or, you know, of any semblance of competency simply because once again, that I think that's, that's why the movie ends the way it does, you know, uh, is very much in this idea of, you know, you guys were on your own and, you know, it's, it's up to you guys to, to get out of there. Um, and and so no, I think I think I mean I I, <laughs> I don't think I don't think you are supposed to think about him that much, and I do think he is a stereotype. I think he is. He's definitely. I mean, because his roles that roles in like so many horror movies, um, you know, who just kind of shows up, doesn't really help anything, and you know, kind of like, you know, talks, <laughs> just like kind of walks around and like you know. Uh, you know, talks a little bit in riddles and, you know, um, it's kind of this world ray detective. I mean, that's all over the place. I mean, that's Loomis, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, they're, they're all, you know, that, that is a stereotypical, you know, concept. And I think it's supposed to be a stereotypical concept, you know, and I think the movie's reacting against that as well, you know, is like this idea of like, well, no, that's not going to help you either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you hit it there where it's just um, the scene with, a detective that um, he kind of sells his his role and his purpose in the film is when he responds to the call at the house and um, he does kind of a walkthrough with George and um, he leans down and like he pokes a cigar and all that and he's just like well you see it's obvious here that somebody kicked your doors open from the inside. From the inside, yeah, exactly. And George is just kind of like, well, is there any chance they came in from the basement? And the police officer is just like, nope, I don't think so. All the, all the windows were locked. 
well, I've done my job. (laughs) And just just leaves. And and George is left standing there just kind of like, um, well then, what happened? (laughs) I'm sorry, go on. Well, because the weird thing about that, so like for me, but once again, I, I do think part of this movie is to react against what we're expecting to happen. But like, and, and, and it's a trope, and it's kind of an annoying trope, maybe not as much in 1979 as it is now. But for me, the, the natural progression there is, is for that detective to be like, why is this guy kicking down his own door? You know, because mm-hmm. that's where I'd be. I mean, that's what I'd be thinking. There's no one else in the house except three little kids and 90-pound Margot Kidder. So, like, why is why is George kicking down his own door? You know, that's the question I'd be asking. Um, and it doesn't seem like he ever gets to that. You know, he's kind of like, you know, he's like, well, I'm just going to kind of keep an eye on this. Sort of, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna make this my personal hobby for a bit, you know, that's kind of where he's at. Um, but I, but I think he's supposed to be incompetent, Al. I think that's kind of the point, you know, mm-hmm. because honestly, like, you know, like, what, what, what is, what does he bring? Like, like, if he had been in the last scenes, what does he bring to the table? You know, is he gonna shoot the pig demon? You know, like, I mean, like, what's he gonna do? You know, um, yeah, so like there's, yeah, he, he does, he, I don't think there's, I think it's similar, you know, in the sense of like, he can't add anything, um, and so therefore he does not, <laughs> you know, like, you know. Sure, sure, yeah, and um, it goes, I think it goes into uh, this idea, um, you referred to it earlier as this idea that this family just gets increasingly, um, increasingly isolated throughout the film and um, and I agree with that and I would even take it a step further to talk about how how the characters in this film to even more than isolate the family in the house they they see what's going on and with the Actually, of course, Father Delaney, who who almost almost dies trying to help them, um, the other characters in this film actively turn away from what is going on, um, um, and Carolyn as well. I think Carolyn also serves a role where she's actually tr- I'm trying to help them. Um, because you know, you see, Josh, if you were to, if you were to swing by my house, um, as you should, um, I miss your face. But if you were <laughs> to swing by my house, and you just kind of like drove up, you pulled up into my driveway, um, you got out of your car, you heard some sounds out behind my shed, and so you walked around there. And you just see me just drenched in sweat, wearing like these Long John type sweaters when I'm easily ill and about <laughs> and about to melt. And I'm just I'm just chopping firewood like my life depends on it. And you come up to me and you're just like, 
hey Al, how's it going? We haven't recorded in a while. And I just start like staring at the chopping block and just sharpening my axe, just kind of like softly talking to myself. <laughs> like, Josh, how long would it probably take you in that situation to go into the house and grab a Issa, and just kind of take her somewhere for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, hold on, hold on. Definitely, I'd probably try to talk you through until you until you took the axe <laughs> by both hands, flung it at a tree, bullseye the tree, and then stared at me like, "That's right, effer," you know. And like at that point is probably when I'd go inside and be like, "Hey, let's let's." Let's go to let's go get a Pokemon Happy Meal or something, you know. Like this is we need to we need to give out a little space here because this ain't working out, you know. He's a uh, he's he's chunking I, that that is a, in a in a movie that's definitely serious. That scene and the nun throwing up are the two scenes that I found utterly hilarious because he just takes that axe and just flings it, and it looks like it flies about sixty yards you know, into this tree. And then he just stares at his buddy and just kind of head nods, you know, as if, I mean, like, and you know, you're right. I mean, at that point I'd be like, yeah, something is off here. Um, <laughs> something's definitely wrong. You know, uh, he, he head nods and they turn to go. And then his friend is just kind of like, it's probably, you know, it's probably an okay decision to go towards like, uh, an unmarked body of water with this guy right. alone. Like, like, yeah, yeah. This is probably yeah. fun. Let's go. Um, let's go get in this garage where <laughs> you know, with this like built-in moat where his uh, his his boat is moored. You know, let, let's go do that. That sounds like a good idea. And so, um, and so no, I think um, I really think that one of the underlying um, themes of this film, you know, there's been a lot of academic talk and analysis about the medieval horror and about how you know the real underlying source of fear there is um is this very common fear of taking a a big step as an adult as a family um buying a house that you can kind of afford as an investment and then economic times just taking a downturn um very much as it did at that time, um, in the late 70s, um, Stephen King is a huge um, advocate of that um, interpretation of the film. But um, and I think that that's there, and I think that's a valid interpretation of the film, but I think a much more relevant theme for the average person who watches it um, to take away from it is this idea that not just, you know, all these underlying stressors and the effects that they can have on people, but especially how those effects can be um, extremely exacerbated by a lack of a social support system. And so we see, you know, this guy, his friend, apparently his business partner in some way, um, he doesn't come out to see the house until like paperwork is overdue at their jobs. Um, and so you assume that there is some kind of 
um, not just a job-related relationship there because he brings his wife, you know, he knows the kids, he knows his wife. And so you expect there to be a bit more of a relationship there. And he's really only bothering to talk to George, apparently, um, if there's an issue with the business. And so, you know, you have these things, you know, you have um, Kathy's brother um, as well, who, who, Josh, you were there right beside me as the excellent friend that you are on the day that I married my wife. Um, can you... <laughs> Can you even begin to describe the state I would have been if I thought I had lost $1,500 that my brother-in-law then had to give me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, that's I don't know, I kind of... $1,500 so like, in 2020. That's yeah, not even $1,500 in 1979. It kind of made me wonder what kind of food they were eating in 1979. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you give me $1,500, you know, I can, I'm pretty sure you, I can feed 50 people pretty darn well, you know, in 2020. <laughs> so, like, I don't, in 1979, they must have been having filet mignon or something, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that, that scene to, like, that scene right there is the moment when I most related to George um, and like most empathize with him because you're put in a position right there where it's like, what are you going to do? You know I mean? Like, well, you know, I'll, I'll take care of it myself. And, you know, and I, I know like the scene where like, he's like, we're going to take a check. It's supposed to kind of be like this, like George's breaking bad kind of thing. I loved it. I thought it was, that was the perfect way to handle it, you know? Um, but like, to me, the that scene right there where like he's put in that position where okay well you know i've got to you know you gotta gotta back your your wife's play so to speak you know mm -hmm. uh, you gotta do the 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 role of the man right there you know essentially what it is um but like and then afterwards we're like he's just frantically looking for it man dude like I, it, it's it's one of those situations where you know like I'm just like, I, I feel for you, you know, because like, you know, I, it, it's interesting because I do think some of the, some of this movie will relate to a lot of millennial watchers quite a bit, you know, as, as not, not to get into, I, we always tend, and when I say we, I mean, typically me tends to get into some type of political controversy thing. I really don't want to do that here, but what I will say is this, okay. I don't know where you're at you know, in life, Al, but if I somehow lose $1,500, that is a catastrophic event. Yeah. You know, that is, that, that, that is an event yeah. that is like just, you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start selling stuff. You know, I mean, that, that's essentially where it's at. And, you know, and it is one of those situations where, one of the things that I like about this movie, because I, li I like this movie better than The Exorcist. I know that's going to be a, a controversy in of itself. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons I like about it is when we talked about The Exorcist, one of the things I kept bringing up was like, I don't get what Satan's grand plan is here. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the point, you know. 
um, you know, like he says, the point is like to make people doubt, but like he ain't really doing that by hanging out in a bedroom and spitting pea soup on people. But like, this is one of those situations where your faith is tested and it's tested on these concepts of like, okay, you know, I've married into this family. They're under my protection now. I've gone out of my way. I've bought this house. You know, I've owned this business and I've lost this money. That is just, you know, that that now I, now, now the creditors are breathing down my neck. Now I've got people are going to quit the job. You know, the business is going to fold. That is how to attack a person, you know. And like, and so the, the fact that like, you know, and just like the, 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 like the cruelness of, of him finding the money roll, but not the money, you know? So mm-hmm. like, it was definitely there, you know, like, you know, like just that, that in of itself is just a whole nother level of, to me that that was the moment where it's like, okay, this, this is a, this is a demonic attack that I can understand, you know? Uh, that I can understand the point of this, you know, um, and, you know, and yeah, I mean that to me, that was one of those scenes that that was one of the more clever scenes because, you know, instead of just being like, well, George is seeing visions of a woman hanging herself or something like that. It's like, oh no, George is about to lose his entire livelihood because of $1,500, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a, that's a more relevant and clever concept uh, in my opinion uh, that kind of, it's one of those things that makes this movie kind of stand out. And and to your point, 1979, that was a big deal. You know, 79 is the is yeah. the is one of the you know economic recessions, you know, that we really didn't get out of. You know, until I mean, started coming out of it about halfway through the Reagan era, but really didn't get out of it until the late 80s. You know, and so there's a lot of working class people, you know, that were really you know in that kind of situation of you know. Man, I, I'm gonna write this $1,500 check and hope it doesn't bounce. You know, because if it bounces, I'm in trouble. Mm. Yeah, um, it's what. I mean, shoot, man, their. Co- <laughs> I mean, their house was eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> That's like three percent of their entire house right there. Like, yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's bad news, man. Um, I can think, I can I ask you about a character real quick? Sure, sure, absolutely. Okay. There's a character in this. This is, this is just going to be a quick aside. There's a point where um, Kathy's starting to lose it. She comes back from trying to find, or it's before she goes to find Father Delaney, but she keeps calling him, and, like, there's the static on the phone. Mm-hmm, sure. And randomly, there's this guy who, the only way I can describe it is he's petting the screen door. He's not knocking. He's just kind of like... <laughs> going like he's kind of like petting it and like kind of scratching it and so kathy goes to the door and he's like we wanted to welcome you in and he holds up a six pack right right and then kathy goes back to the phone tries to answer it another there and he goes back and that guy's gone what what was that (laughs) that i have never i've never noticed that scene until this is the oh yeah fourth time i've watched this movie and i guess i've just like kind of like let that pass but what was what is happening there i'm i'm really glad you asked me that because that um that unlocks a memory for me from when i was in college and um it was around uh, this time of year um, i was showing a bunch of classic horror films to my friends at college who like 
hadn't seen a lot of horror stuff. And I was watching, um, and I was watching this um, Amityville horror. I was watching it with my <laughs> with my friend Aaron. Um, and Aaron's a great guy. Had not seen a lot of horror stuff. Did not know what to expect from Amityville. Hadn't heard anything about it. And we're watching this, and it gets to this scene of the random guy with the six pack just kind of like scratching at the door to be let in. And we get to that scene, and it passes. And Aaron slowly reaches over and hits pause on the controller on the Xbox where we're watching this <laughs> this movie, and he just looks at me and he just like, "Was that guy a ghost?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I have no context for what is happening there. You know, it is it's, it is one of the. It's almost like, I, well, I'm convinced there's a there's a scene missing. Okay, it almost <laughs> has to be. But like you need that scene of the, you know, you because you, you need the scene of her not being able to talk to Fire Delaney, okay. But I think they want to do something else there, you know. And then they just were like, well, we got that scene, and it's an independent film. We don't have the money to really redo it or lose it in editing. So I guess we're just going to leave this random guy in because there has <laughs> to be something else out. Because nothing happened, you know, and mm-hmm. like his like his demeanor isn't like like it's 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 not creepy. It's but it's like it's just weird. It's bizarre. Like, it's, yeah. like, it's only creepy if you're if it's only creepy if he never shows up in the film again. And spoiler alert, he never does. You know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's, it's the weirdest like. Like it, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It is the one thing I wanted to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> Not, I have, I had no clue what was happening there, and I, and and the, what, like I said, what's weird is like I, I don't know why I just have blocked that out. I guess because the scene does such a good job of you know, like her, you know, wanting to really talk on the phone and the static and all that stuff. Like, but like this, this is the first time where like I knew that was coming, and so I was like, I don't remember that guy. I wonder what's happening there. And then he just leaves, and you're just like, "Oh, okay." You know, <laughs> nothing, nothing comes, nothing comes of that. It's just so, it's such a weird scene. It's so out of place in a movie where everything else seems like very intentional. Oh and yeah. It's just like, and I still like, I don't, I want to, I want to know what the direction was for that guy because <laughs> was it like Bob? Listen, you you go to the door, and Bob's like, I knock on the door. He's like, No, no, no. You just kind of like. <laughs> at the door, you're like, really, you do something that no one's ever done in history. Okay, you kind of like take your hand and like scratch it on the screen, you know. And Bob's like, I, I, why do I do? It? He's like, you just, you just, you just scratch it on the screen. And then when she comes to the door and just is kind of like, what's up? You go, we want to welcome you to the neighborhood, and you just flip over a six pack, you know. <laughs> And then you just vanish. <laughs> you, just, you just leave. <laughs> you just leave seriously as you came. You it's, know? Imp- it's super important that you you make that six pack just undrinkable the way <laughs> you handle it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just like you know, everything he does in that scene is something no normal person would ever do, and it's amazing. You yeah, know. But- they should have at least made they should have at least had him like riding the pig demon at some point you know or something <laughs> it's like it's everything about that guy is so ridiculous 
it's one of it's one of those things where like I'll be honest with you, um, everybody at home. I don't have a good answer to that question. I like to think that I'm pretty well prepared for these films that we cover, but that's one thing I don't have an answer for because I've thought about that scene before because, and I've tried to do like extraordinary just mental gymnastics to make that scene fit somewhere. But it's so, it's so odd because if that, if that man is like a supernatural thing that house produces, he, that's the only example of the house ever doing that. We don't see that again. <laughs> we don't see the house do like physical things that you really interact with. We see it like manipulate things and we see it do like voices that are just under the cusp of being heard. And we see it like interact with physical objects we do not see like a a personal manifestation of the house happen in that entire movie we don't get anything close to that so and like i've tried to think about like well you know he's like kind of like scratching at the door and like harry is like kind of scratching at the wall in the basement so so are they trying to do like a parallel there of other people trying to get into the house to reach them the way Harry's trying to reach like the evil behind the it it's not there man I don't I, know <laughs> the answer like I hope like you know <laughs> I really do like I I you know and like what's great about it is like because I did I tried to look it up and like there's nothing about that online and so I guess like I guess the entire horror community has just kind of um accepted that this random guy is in this movie um and just doing the most random thing because like i you like the really the fix is she looks down and like you know he's dropped the beer and just gone right because it's like okay he got scared off like everyone else does but that's just not it she just goes back and he's just not there and you're just you're just kind of left like wondering that was weird you know (laughs) yeah i bet i bet that'll come into play later later on nope sure doesn't you know yeah. yeah, I don't know, yeah, man. Yeah. but I just, I, I, uh, he is the, um, he's the MVP of the movie for me. Uh, there's, yeah. there's, yeah, there's, there's no one, there's no one else like him. It's, you know, yes, he, he has to make a really weird character work and gosh darn it. He does it. It's, it's nothing else, man. I will say, I don't, I don't go on to the horrors of Reddit very often. Um, because the thing that this is kind of trash, but I might have to go on there sometime in the next couple of days and post a thread asking people what the deal is with that guy who shows up to visit the house in Amityville Horror. <laughs> Just see if anybody else. What if Josh? What if the next time we watch the Amityville Horror, he's not even there? What yeah. if? <laughs> This, this is something that me and you have imagined <laughs> together. Yeah. But if we just had a shared hallucination, that'd be the craziest thing I'd in the be, world. I could be okay with that, honestly. You know, I'd, I'd, I, you know, if I'm going to share a hallucination about a guy <laughs> who paws a door, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, I'd be glad it was with you. Yeah. Anyway, we can move on. Al. I know you have other things to do, but I had to ask about him. I just no, 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 no. And you know what? It goes back to what I was saying. We tried to touch on the things that like a whole bunch of other 
people haven't talked about. I bet you that fits. I bet you that fits the criteria. There you uh, go. That's perfect. Um, no, so um, and the last point about the film that I do want to make is that, um, uh, and one final question I want to pose to you, Josh, is uh, we see that the individuals, the characters in this film who are being haunted by the house or by the spirit within the house, however you want to interpret it. The characters being haunted are being haunted in very um, specific and like I have to think just very intentional ways. We see we see the boys be haunted in like very aggressive physical ways, right? Like the kids are like goofing around and teasing their sister. And then uh, um, the window frame just slides down and just like crushes that kid's hand. Um, and so we see that. Um, we see um, the way that Kathy kind of personally experiences a haunting is uh, the one that sticks out to me is that she's haunted by that um, dream essentially that she has that night where she wakes up just kind of crying out that, you know, um, he got shot in the head when he was asleep and things like that. Uh, that kind of co-experiencing the trauma that happened there. Um, and then of course we have George who's George's haunting is very, it's very personalized. It's very internalized. It's very gradual throughout the film. Just kind of, um, um, just kind of chipping away at, his sanity, just kind of chipping away at his ability to hold it together. And those to me have always been very intentional and they have made sense to me because when you have a family dynamic that experiences um, on these things like abuse and these things like um, family-based trauma, those are often the experiences and the roles that you see. Obviously not all the time, but very often um, there is a tendency to see that the father figure is the one who who was who was slowly gradually weighed down by things and it leads to these outbursts. Um, we see the um, other figure um, have a very personal experience of it. Um, I become very increasingly aware that she is is a potential victim in that scenario, and then we see a lot of the times with kids. You know, the kids are are very concerned about the physical harm aspect of the abuse um, and things like that. So all of these haunting experiences that the characters undergo very much align with what you typically expect from a situation of abuse. And I think that's very intentionally done. Um, I'm very sold on that idea of the Amityville Horror. Um, what I have trouble fitting into that mode is the role of the little girl, Amy. Because the little girl seems throughout the film to just be sitting back and taking everything in. She doesn't intercede on behalf of her babysitter who gets locked in the closet. Um, she just kind of watches 
things as they happen. Even in the climax of the film, where they're being removed from the house, where George has kind of started to redeem himself for all of the bad things he's done up to that point by getting the kids out and getting their mom out, even going back to get the dog. Um, this little girl is just, every time she's on screen, um, she's like a great child actress because she just has this expression on her face that's somewhere between scared and entertained <laughs> just said what's going on and for the life of me i struggle to fit her in to the way that i have understood the haunting of these characters in this film um so josh i will humbly leave this at your feet and just kind of ask you what do you have on the little girl in the mdville horror because she is fascinating to me and I don't have a good way to describe how she kind of fits into the general flow of the film as far as the themes go. Yeah, I actually have a very, um, I have a theory I feel very strongly about with her, um, and that she's the MacGuffin of the film. She's the one that has to be won over. So at the very, so at the beginning of the movie, so at the, at the very beginning of the movie, we we learn something very very important that just kind of brushed over and it's that they started calling george dad mm-hmm. so you know like these are so like it, it it's this movie's really good at, at show not tell because like you have no concept these aren't his kids uh for a bit you know and like you know and he's like i think they're getting too close to the river and Stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. and like they've called me George, and and he's like, you know, and, and he's like he kind of makes his things like I'll take anything other than Mister Mister Lutz, which I would too, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't see, I don't see scared or amused. I see someone who is very much um, the person that needs to be saved in that movie now i say this as someone who like several times is like this girl is the worst person in this movie (laughs) it's like it's like just outright evil you know um but like at the same time she's the one that has the moment of not really the clarity, so to speak, but like she's the one that, for example, makes a statement, Jody doesn't like George, you know, and then I don't like George either. So like there's she's the one that the house arguably, you know, I mean, you can you can make the statement that George is the one the house has the biggest grab on, but it's really her because mm-hmm. she's given into it, you know. She's she's leaned into this, you know, into this person. Uh, and or, or or into this uh, persona uh, that she you know uh, is that she's following, and so that's the character that needs to be saved in this movie, and also that's the character that George has to prove himself to. So I mean, there's a reason like when there's the, there's a reason that the girl's the one that says I want Harry, and he stops and goes back to get Harry. Like that's there's a reason that those two things are linked, in my opinion. 
because there's, you know, the the person that he has the biggest contentious relationship with is her, you know, because like, you know, I mean, he's, you know, you know, like, you know, he's the it's it's about her when he's like, you know, you need to give these girls some GD discipline, you know. Uh, you know, he screams at her for not, you know, letting, which I mean, I would have too, for not letting the babysitter out, you know, <laughs> like, but I mean, he's the, that's the one that they have the biggest, you know, that has the biggest, uh, uh, that she, he has the biggest contention with. And that's the one that, you know, to me, the ending of the movie, you know, is like, is, is this very clear cut concept of almost a fable of, are you going to be, you know, this person that the fam that your family needs, or are you going to be someone that's going to destroy this family? And the movie, of course, is like very literal with that, you know, with axes and stuff. But like for a lot of families, I mean, this is the once again, it's 1979. This is the rise of divorces. This is the rise of the broken family. This is this is where it starts. This is the rise of the latch key kids. You know, it all starts here. And there's a question being asked over and over and over again, you know, not only by religious people, but like by sociologists, by family doctors, uh, family psychi family psychiatrists of like, you know, why are these why are these families breaking up now? You know, and, you know, a you and I both know, you know, uh, I've, I've in, in, in my realm as a pastor, I've experienced this. I'm assuming in your realm, you've experienced something similar that most, a lot of times, I would almost say most of the time, when a family explodes, it's because the man of the house, quote unquote, is the one that sets off the chain reaction that, ex that explodes everything. Mm -hmm. And so when you have, when, when you have a situation in this movie, you know, that's what the that once again, we, it comes back to that idea of like, you know, what is the demon trying to do? What's the point? You know, what is the point of demon? Well, the demon's literally trying to destroy a family. Okay, there's there there's a reason. I mean, that that that's the reason he's got. And to me, that little girl, you know, because it seems like the boys kind of accept him pretty early on, and they you, you don't really see a whole lot of contention there. Um, but the little girl is the one that is just not won over. And, you know, that end result, you know, that ending of I'm going back to get Harry, you know, who also, by the way, they they should have gone back to get it for no reason that once again, this is another movie where the dog is smarter than every person in the movie. Yeah. But like, you know, where the dog's like, hey, I've, I, I, I sense a portal to hell in this basement. You know, <laughs> is anyone else, anyone else weirded out by the portal to hell in the basement? Um, but when he goes back to get Harry. You know, like when what you see, you know, there's a the way they shoot it, and it's got to be intentional. Is the girls in the in the in the front, in the foreground, and Kathy is in the background, and it's over her shoulder, you know, watching him carry that dog up, and like that's that's that moment, and so like, you know, the reason, you know, the 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 attack on her, in my opinion, by the demon is probably the most insidious one. Because it's this, it's this one that that deals directly into what is bothering George to begin with, which is, you know, am I a failure? You know, and you've got this little girl who's like, yeah, absolutely, you are a failure. You know, I like my my my, my imaginary friend better than you, and my imaginary friend doesn't like you, and also my imaginary friend 
uh, thinks that you're going to lose it just like everyone else in this house has to. You know, that's a that is a personal attack on George right there. And so it's kind of a little more insidious. So that's kind of how I look at it. All that could just be total like, you know, everything I've said there could be, uh, you know, total conjecture and just totally wrong, you know, um, and just but that's that's what I see. Uh, as as my subjective reading of this of this movie and of her, you know, because I do think everything does kind of bleed into this idea of, you know, men are ruining the family, and is this man going to ruin the family? You know, um, so yeah, that, that's my reading of it, Al. But once again, I could just totally be wrong. Oh no, no, I think I think it makes sense. Um, I think it does. Um, yeah. I don't know, like, kids are weird, man. They get get weird expressions on their face, and I don't know. I don't know what to do with them. But, but, um, no, no, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting film um, that, um, yeah, man, it's it's weird. (sighs) Is it weird that of all the genres of film, um that a lot of the time i won't say every time but like a lot of the time it's oddly enough the horror films that like kind of feel like they've aged reasonably well because like i watched this the other day and stuff and like i'm always kind of wary whenever i rewatch like older movies because i don't know um the scenes that i've (laughs) forgotten about or anything like that or just lines i haven't heard in a while that like i'll hear again and with like a new um context of experience with and stuff and i don't know how it'll sound or turn out but like i watched this the other day and stuff and like i watched it a bunch of times but like i watched it i was just like man this is just this really holds up like this really (laughs) this really does a lot of good stuff in this film yeah well the for me, the movies that hold up, um, if you can find a theme that is timeless and then have something to say about that theme, that movie's always going to hold up. And, you know, thematically, we, we've already talked about it, but thematically, this movie holds up because a lot of the same anxieties are still there. And they're probably going to be there until the by and by. So, you know, I mean, I think that's why this movie holds up so well, because, yeah, I mean, it's shot real well and it's acted fantastically, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but like, it's really just the the theme of, you know, the, the the theme of really just like, you know, like, you know, it, it is, is this risk worth it? You know, am I enough? You know, all these, all these thematic things that really go through i mean yeah i mean i mean honestly i mean al i mean <laughs> you know uh i know you've 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 come into touch with some of this you know Th- this movie really does speak a lot to the the weird you know alpha male movement that we yeah. have going on today yeah you know and um you know like and like you know what what does it mean to be you know, a, a man in a family, 
You know, like what 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 is that concept? You know, for, to an extent, people have been asking that for three thousand years, um, maybe even longer. You know, and now you know that that idea is still around. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. it's still a thing. You know, um, and this movie, in a very you know, I mean, on the nose way, but does does ask the question. You know, you know, a man can either save his family or destroy it. Um, you know, and and that's kind of where it's at. I do, I, I I do wonder. You know, I I do wonder if there's a a more feminist reading of this movie that really just rips it apart. <laughs> you know, that basically mm-hmm. goes like, you know, because you know, Kathy's, you know, she's she's very much a damsel in distress in this movie. You know, in a lot of ways. Um, oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, and um, and plays that role. You know, um, and uh, is not really. Yeah, I mean, you know, really only has like one one consequential moment where you know she's stopping George from getting into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that that kind of thing. I mean that that doesn't really bother me because I don't really think it's Kathy's story, but like. You know, from a like I said, from a feminist reading of it, you know, this one thing this this movie doesn't examine is you know the role really of you know in these in these in these cis relationships, you know, that doesn't really examine the role of the woman, you know, in this in this uh, family that or if it does, not in any way that I could tell. Um, and I'm not saying every movie has to do everything, <clears throat> but I do wonder if there's like a you know a feminist reading of this movie that would. Uh, have completely different opinions than me and you have. Oh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure for sure. Um, I will say in addition to Kathy's character in the film as well, I think there is something to be said for her. Um, You know, in my um, ignorant attempt to to try to put um, a more feminist perspective on the film. I think there is something to Kathy's character in that, you know, while George kind of um, internalizes things and kind of retreats into himself uh, whenever all of these issues and stressors come up, um, um, it is Kathy who, who reaches out and tries to, and, and actively tries to get her family help. Um, he is the one who goes to um, the parish to find the priest. She's the one who argues her case to um, Father Olin, who's absolutely useless. Um, <laughs> so she is the one who takes a much more active role as far as trying to find resources, trying to find ways to to help and protect her family and her new home, um, as opposed to George, who more um, internalizes everything and just kind of um, ignores um, ignores stuff and, uh, and things like that. But um, so I think that is um, another angle there. But um, um, yeah, man, it's it's really interesting. It's it. On the surface, it's a very simple story, a very simple presentation, but I think it has enough layers 
to it and enough angles to it that um, it can really present itself as being um, a very complex story as well. But um, um, yeah, um, Josh, as we close, um, anything else, any final thoughts um, about the film or any extra bits you want to share about the trivia or anything like that before we wrap up? Uh, I I would have liked to have known more about the pig demon. Um, sure. You know, I think uh, I think that is interesting. Uh, sure. There's. I don't think that's a selfish desire. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> you know, of course, there's a lot of, um, particularly from a religious connotation. Uh, there's a there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of imagery of, you know, pigs being being brought into a holy place and making it unholy. Sure. Um, I'm not saying that's what they did there. I'm just saying I would have liked to have known more. You know, a, yeah, sure. I, I just, you know, I just kind of, you know, would have liked to have known a little more about the pig demon, you know, but uh, but that's all. But that's all we get. And we probably don't need much more than that. Um the the portal to hell i think is kind of brushed over too you know mm -hmm. um but you know that that's okay you know, sure yeah one, things we don't really need to know that much more about i guess they don't really they're just kind of there to further the story as opposed to be the story yeah i was about to say kind of those two things combined the fact that like they're just kind of like presented and not really explored I think that really kind of lends itself to, to um, the overall idea of just like, of, you know, like, yeah, or the family, this is what it was all about. But like, that's not really, you know, the, um, the story that we're trying to tell. You know, it's, um, there's a different focus to the storytelling that we're trying to do, as opposed to what, like, the real true threats were to um on the family within the story but um but yeah um La you know, last thing last thing yeah. real quick the um the track so when this movie went overseas um it didn't make any sense to call it the amityville horror you probably know this um but if you listening and you don't know this if you're not as brilliant as al mattingly um <laughs> Uh, it didn't make any sense to call it Amityville Horror because that didn't mean anything to anyone outside of America. Probably really didn't mean anything anybody outside of New York. But anyway, overseas they just call it "For God's sake, get out!" And I think that's a fantastic <laughs> title for this movie. It really um, is, you know. So, you know, because I imagine that was screamed quite a bit at the at, in the theater. You know, so yeah, uh, I just, wanted, just wanted to add that little little piece. God, man, I wish we, I wish we named movies like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. great, man. Uh, but uh, no, yeah, um, yeah. The only finishing touch that I have for this uh, first episode of Horror Fest 2023 is that um, I have to call Josh out real quick. Uh, very early in the episode, he said that um, the Amityville Horror was uh, kind of on the milestone or the decline um, of James Brolin's acting career. Um, I have to take umbrage with that because just last year he voiced Zerg 
in the Buzz Lightyear film. So, I mean, you can't you can't get much higher than that, man. I love Zerg. So, I mean, yeah, forty <laughs> years. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, we've got. Well, what's funny is like when you when you go to IMDb, because like this is something that I always heard. Like my mother apparently saw this movie in theaters, and like she's the first person that told me that like. You know, it's like just kind of killed James Rowland's career, you know, who was who, like I said, had some pretty big roles at that point. It's like when you go to IMDb, they mention that and they're like, because Brolin says I couldn't get a movie for two years. And they're like, this is actually untrue. Yeah, I've got a movie the year <laughs> the next year called The Rise of Mr. Juggler or something like that. And it's just like it's like that isn't a movie, you know? And then it's like it's like also <laughs> he had two made for TV movies in 1983, which once again aren't movies so it was kind of it's it's you know so so yeah they're they imdb does a very similar thing to what you're doing <laughs> right now and it's like trying to be like a ha ha guy he was zerg 40 years later you know uh, so yeah. all right well well i, I i'm sorry i uh, i take it back I take it back it was uh yeah I yeah an now. arm and a leg to play zerg yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> be pretty cool. But um, uh, uh, yeah. All right, everybody. That's I think that's enough. <laughs> that's enough nonsense for this episode. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. I want to give um, a shout out to everybody out there um, who joins us every year for Horror Fest. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, c- keep an eye out uh, for other episodes coming out. Um, Jacob and I. Um, do uh, the Star Wars EU or EU review every month. We always have um, a lot of fun over there. But um, yeah, everybody, I'm just glad that um, spooky season has returned. Um, I was in need of some spookiness, um, and I'm just glad that it's it's here again. So um, yeah, uh, to everybody out there, uh, uh, just a reminder that fandom is for everyone. Uh, even you, yeah, you, that's right. Phantom is even for you. So um, as we go through Horror Fest this year, please um, uh, please enjoy. Shout us out on Instagram and Discord and all that, uh, the films you love and uh, why you enjoy them. Um, and everybody, stay safe. And we will see you on the next episode.